0: What's up everybody, it's Eddie Sanchez of The Bad Promoter coming at you on a Thursday. We have a lot to talk about, it's been a minute, boxing's been exciting in 2023 and there's a lot to look forward to the rest of the year and going into 2024. But as always, the drink of the day is a cold, refreshing Coors Light. Sometimes that's all you want and sometimes that's all you need and other times the bodegas is selling them for $2 a can. Coors Light, it gets you there. All right. Well, anyway, guys, this weekend we have Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou. This has been a really great promotion and honestly has been pretty exciting to see leading up to the fight. Just seeing the social engagement, specifically on Twitter and the promo video that was uh, released by Francis Ngannou and, you know, the rest of the top ranked team. that That was really amazing, man. And I think they're doing a really good job of convincing people that this will be a close fight. Obviously, anyone who pays attention to boxing knows that this won't be close at all. Tyson Fury's undefeated in his career. He only has one draw to Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder, who has knocked out every opponent he's ever faced in his professional career besides Tyson Fury. If Tyson Fury can handle that much power in three fights, then I don't anticipate Francis Ngannou uh, standing much of a chance. It will be interesting to see if Ngannou is able to land a couple nice, hard, perfectly placed shots on Tyson Fury's face. The reason why that'll be interesting is because Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk are set to face ideally December 23rd, but at worst in the first quarter and likely January or February of 2024. And the main factor that'll determine when they actually fight is how Tyson Fury looks following his fight with uh francis and ganu will he come out looking healthy will he have any scratches um deep bruising cuts anything like that broken bones broken nose things of that nature as long as he walks out fully healthy which a lot of people are expecting just given the vast difference in the skill and talent level between the two fighters then they should be fine and their fight will be good to go now for tyson fury I think it'll be important for him not to mess around and play too much. I think he should take his opponent seriously. And there's no reason to think that he won't take his opponent seriously, uh, just given how he's conducted himself in his professional career. You know, of course, he had that battle with uh, depression, which, of course, he still battles with to this day. But where he battled it to the point where it kept him out of uh, the boxing ring for a number of years, you know, he ballooned up in weight, eventually was able to get to a mental headspace where he could overcome that a little bit and come come back to the to the ring and uh, have a couple fights and lead that into a fight with Deontay Wilder he did that he's proved himself to be mentally strong and tough year after year after year and he's always taken uh, his craft very seriously when he has fought so I don't anticipate any funny business any shenanigans but of course it'll be interesting to see how Tyson Fury looks coming out of this fight and for Ngannou's sake um, you know maybe this has an opportunity for him to build a deeper connection with fans he's transitioning from the UFC to the PFL so just getting that exposure having it be on a non-PFL card will give the PFL some free advertising quote-unquote as Francis Ngannou won't have to do that first initial introduction on a fight for the PFL which to be honest I'm not really sure they have anyone in their division on that roster currently that would be a top pay-per-view seller against Francis Ngannou but we'll see you know another news uh Canelo Alvarez he's being rumored uh to face Jaime Munguia in May of 2024 of course Canelo fights on uh, the Mexican holidays, Cinco de Mayo, and uh, Mexican Independence Day in September. So having another Mexican join him as his opponent in Munguia, who's 27 years old, 42-0, and 0, that that would be kind of exciting, man. You know, Munguia isn't the type of fighter that will cause too much um, worry in the corner of Canelo. Though seeing the way Canelo's training... Seeing how he's conducted himself in the gym and in the weight room, you know, and obviously the way he's conducted himself throughout his entire career, you know, he wouldn't take any opponent lightly and uh, he makes sure to take every opportunity head on and doesn't have a wandering eye to uh, take him away from his craft. Manguilla, of course, is Mexican and Canelo has stated on numerous occasions that he no longer has an interest in facing other Mexican fighters. You know, a lot of people tabbed that as the the primary reason for canelo not wanting to face david, david Benavides. you know true or not seems like he's going back on that now and so people who want to see a canelo versus Benavides fight that's that's something that they should keep in the back of their mind of course pbc is a three-fight deal let's say this munguia fight does end up happening in may that'll leave the third fight with an undecided opponent and uh david Benavides as The leading contender for that fight and of course when you have a potential matchup like a Canelo Alvarez versus a David Benavidez where it's the clear head and shoulders two guys in the division and you've been building it for a number of years you know having that back and forth people building their careers and you know getting a string of victories and you have a a contract written for Canelo where he's working with a specific promoter for three fights it makes the most business sense for that huge matchup to happen in the last fight of that contract. You know, that's a model that guys in the UFC have, have taken. Um, Dana White will often have people fight and have a huge, huge, huge fight at the, at the last fight of their contract, which will um, encourage them to re-sign after now in the box for boxing's sake, Canelo fighting Mangia and then fighting David Benavidez after would be absolutely amazing course this is still strictly in the rumors phase and uh, both these guys actually have uh, matchups over the next couple months uh, david benavidez of course is fighting demetrius andrade next month that's going to be a really exciting fight if Benavides is to lose that fight that kind of takes away all all of the glamour and allure uh, for a Canelo fight away I don't anticipate him losing, but I think Demetrius Andrade will give him uh, some fits, just given his fighting style. I think, especially early on, David Benavidez will, you know, be subject to Andrade's movement. Um, but given David Benavidez's relentless attack and uh, his the sharpness with his punches, I think. Over the course of the fight, it'll just begin to break down, Andre, and uh, so I'm anticipating uh, Benavidez winning that fight by unanimous decision. Interestingly enough, uh, Jamal Charlo, the brother, twin brother of Jamel Charlo, is fighting on the undercard, and he will also be fighting uh, Benavidez. No, obviously not David Benavidez because he's fighting Andre. He'll be fighting Jose Benavidez Jr., David's older brother. This will be a really interesting fight, of course, because this will be. Jamal Charlo's first fight in two and a half years so we'll get to see where he still stands as a champion if he's committed to the sport if he looks completely washed or you know he's trained hard enough and you know has the mental focus to come in and you know look good if he does look good and he looks really good he could throw his name in the ring and steal that uh, potential spot from Jaime Munguia I would keep him as a close contender for, for a potential Canelo fight but only if it's that May fight. I think if Magia fights in May against Canelo, then Jamal Charles' opportunity to fight Canelo, all but gone. Now, Magia, on the other hand, he's rumored to have a fight in January against John Ryder, uh, another former Canelo opponent. This is a tough fight, man. And uh, this is one that I'm really excited to see if it does go down. I think it's risky, on the part of uh, Golden Boy Promotions to set this fight up, but it's a welcome one. It's a welcome risk, and if he does win that fight, then by all means, it just brings the excitement for a potential matchup against Canelo even greater. Now, Eddie Hearn, the promoter of John Ryder and a, a man who has worked very closely with Canelo Alvarez over the years, especially recently, he's put Edgar Belonga's name in the running I don't see that happening at all and even Eddie Hearn didn't necessarily see it happening just given how he mentioned Berlanga's name he mentioned that Berlanga would be a great opponent to fight Jaime Mangia, and then the winner of that fight would have the opportunity to face Canelo while I commend him for providing a realistic scenario in terms of how Berlanga could earn that fight just given the fact that he had to list a scenario like that when canelo needs an opponent from may and you know i believe everyone understands that david benavidez is more than likely to be the opponent in september then you just can't really see a berlonga matchup taking place for canelo during this two fight contract or rather the last two fights on that three fight deal with pbc but Berlanga keeps winning, keeps doing his thing at the end of 2024. He could set himself up for a potential fight in 2025. At that point, who knows what Canelo would want to do. In this hypothetical scenario, he would have faced um, Jaime Munguia and David Benavidez, uh, both tough matchups. So I don't want to predict, straight up predict, um, or at least I don't want to assume two victories. I'll predict that he's victorious in both. At that point he'd be 62-2 two and 2. If uh he is victorious against Munguia and Benavidez, and if that's the case man, the the world is literally his oyster. He can stay at 168, fight a guy like an Edgar Berlanga. Honestly, he could do it in New York, which uh, you know, Canelo's never fought in New York uh Berlanga's from New- from Brooklyn, so that would be a uh, a really cool matchup and something that would probably be exciting for his career. You know, me personally, I would want to see him jump back up to light heavyweight at that point. Um, I'm assuming and hopeful that Archer Betterbeev and Dimitri Bivol will face each other in 2024. Who knows, man? I mean, they've been talking about this for years and it hasn't come close to happening. Um, Of course, Betterbeev has a fight in January against Callum Smith, uh, yet another former Canelo opponent. Calm Smith is long, lanky, you know, moving up from 168 to 175. He looks a lot stronger, but psh, better beef is that dude, man. And, uh, you know, his crisp punching power, his, uh, ability to throw combinations with multiple different angles and his fucking power, man. I don't see any opportunity for Calm Smith to walk out of that fight victorious. And, Better Beeve, at that point, I'm assuming we'll get uh, his 20th victory with all 20 by way of knockouts. And if that's the case, man, you know, given how Better Beeve has conducted himself uh, in his career the past five, six years, averaging about 1 to 1.2 fights per calendar year, hey, man, if things don't work out with Demetri Bivel, I could see him facing another contender that doesn't necessarily test him to the point where people would be worried that he isn't victorious. And if that's the case, shit, that could set up a sick fight between him and Canelo in 2025. But of course, this is so far down the line. It's just providing you, the listener, the type of mindset that I believe these promoters have. Um, Because of course, they're always trying to figure out a way to build people's careers, think down the line, and see how things can be built out. Now, Let's say Betterbeav and Bivel do end up fighting at the um, later in 2024. Whoever's victorious, that would be a sick fight for obvious reasons. I mean, I just gave you reasons for Artur Betterbeev and Canelo. Dimitri Bivel obviously beat Canelo Alvarez already. If Dimitri Bivel ends up winning that hypothetical matchup against Betterbeev, makes himself the undisputed light heavyweight champion, Canelo Alvarez at that point, hopefully 62-2, and two, man, I would love to fucking see a rematch. I think it's killing Canelo the fact that he lost that fight. Also, the fact that uh, they haven't faced each other yet for another opportunity, and I think uh, you provide that opportunity to Canelo. He'll more than he'll be more than happy to take it. I don't think Canelo um, necessarily cares about losing. I think he wants to uh, build a legacy, and I think it just rubbed him the wrong way how that fight ended with Dimitri Bivol, and uh, I think he'll want to put himself in a position to fight him again. Of course, that's much, much, much down the line. There's so much to look forward to before that as it relates to all these men that I've mentioned and as it relates to other fighters as well. I mean, Amanda Serrano is uh, a couple weeks away from her fight. It'll be nice to see her again in a way we'll be fighting tapales for undisputed uh super super featherweight belt super bantamweight belt and um shit man everyone's assuming it in a way is going to come come out victorious in that and then of course by the end of the year we're going to get that tyson fury versus Alexander usik fight and uh i don't think anything's bigger than that and what a way to close out 2023 that would be all right guys just to touch on uh the UFC for a little bit. Really, really sad to see that John Jones got hurt uh, just weeks away from his fight against Stipe Miocic. It was an unwell kept secret that it was very likely going to be a retirement bout for both him and Miocic. So just seeing John Jones go down with that injury, very disappointing. And on- honestly, what is even more disappointing is the fact that Miocic isn't even staying on the card. You know, Dana White did his best to frame it as it would be uh, disrespectful to have Miocic fight for an interim belt, although that's bullshit. Like, what makes that what makes that disrespectful in any capacity? He's a professional, former champion, often regarded as the greatest heavyweight in UFC history. It's not disrespectful to be fighting for a championship belt. And if you're saying it's disrespectful to fight for an interim belt, then that just diminishes... Um, the public's viewing on what an intern belt means in the UFC. <sighs> Honestly, I just think he, uh, he, as in Dana White, didn't want to see uh, Miocic potentially lose to Sergei Pavlovich. Pavlovich is going to be stepping up in this fight, and uh, I think he's going to be victorious. He's going to enter the fight with a six-fight winning streak, all six coming by way of knockout. And uh, his opponent, Aspinall, you know, he's one and one in his previous two fights. <sighs> Man, it's just not the type of situation, especially coming in as a last minute replacement, you'd want to be as an Aspinall going against a guy like Pavlovich who has that power. I'm predicting Pavlovich will be victorious. And honestly, at that point, I would want to see him face uh, John Jones for the belt once John Jones is uh, hopefully healthy the UFC would do right by John Jones and set the stage for him versus Miocic. And then at that point, it's up in the air whether we'd uh, you know, see the champion face, the, the soon-to-be interim champion, whether that is a Pavlovich or an Aspinall. But at the end of the day, it is disappointing, and it'll be interesting to see. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to The Bad Promoter. As always, keep up with me online at TheBadPromoter.com. Keep listening to the podcast on Spotify. Follow my Substack and keep up with me on Instagram and Twitter at TheBad Promoter. Let's get it.